We have another great episode for you today. We're talking to Alex Ryback. You might know him as Sharp5. We're talking about game development using JavaScript and Phaser. Um, it's a really cool episode. We learned a lot about pixel editing and creating art and things like that for games. Um, if you'd like to support the show, please visit us at techjunior.dev and subscribe to our newsletter. You can also click the support button and become a Patreon subscriber or check out our swag at the Teespring store. Please tweet us at techjuniorpodcast. Leave a review on iTunes. Tell your friends. Anything you can do to help support the show is greatly appreciated and let's get into it all right welcome to tech junior my name is lee work jr i'm a full stack javascript developer I have with me as always eddie hey it's eddie i'm a front-end developer and today we have a special guest we've got who you probably know as sharp fives uh but we have alex rybick with us so alex if you could introduce yourself yeah, thanks for having me on the show. So uh, I'm a software engineer uh, with a background in uh, electrical engineering and s signal processing and uh, kind of all things software. And I just kind of started getting into game development uh, within the last uh, five or six years. So um, you guys reached out to me to talk about Phaser and uh, all the games I've been making with that. So uh, yeah, happy to get into it with you guys. Yeah, cool. So um, cool. Bef before we jump directly into that, um, I know you've got some experience. It seems like in totally different languages from JavaScript. So um, maybe if you're comfortable, if you could, you know, walk us through how you got into programming and kind of, you know, what kind of, you know, development that you do day to day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I started off learning uh, electrical engineering and signal processing. It's kind of what I studied in school and uh, studying things like filter design and statistics and signals and systems. And uh, I was part of a research lab in college that specialized in music and digital audio processing. And uh, while I was part of that lab, um, I learned pretty quickly that if I wanted to do anything to actually you know, implement something, I was going to have to learn how to write code uh, to do some stuff with signals. So that's kind of how I got my start in software, is writing MATLAB and C code and uh, kind of algorithms at that level. And uh, there were certainly people in, you know, in the lab that I was working with that did mostly like theory and math and all that kind of stuff. But um, I was more interested in making stuff. So uh, I wrote my first program, which was like a guitar tuner. Um, I've got a background in music, so it was kind of an easy fit. And uh, it was a really simple program that's used a fast forward transform routine and a UI, simple UI on top of it. And it was, you know, super satisfying. So from there, I was kind of hooked on everything I could get my hands on with uh, software related. So um, eventually I got into like C, C++, Python, and did a bunch of mobile work actually early on with like iOS and Android back in like 2008 when the first, those first devices were kind of coming out in the market. So that was a ton of fun. And uh, I made a bunch of apps that never went anywhere, but uh, it was good uh, good to get my feet wet with that kind of stuff. And uh, actually, wrote a bunch of apps for BlackBerry back when back when that was cool. So oh. maybe that, maybe that's dating myself a little bit. <laughs> with uh, it's it's cool. We're all old here. Yeah, <laughs> I think that was with J2ME Java Micro Edition or something like that. But um, I guess you can assume where those apps ended up. So, uh, um, but yeah, so I've been writing software for like the past 13 years or so and past five or six, I've been making games and, uh, it's been pretty exciting. So cool. cool. Did you make um, your own guitar pedals? 
Uh, I've done a little bit with electronics. I'm not like a huge uh, electronics guy. I've done some Arduino stuff, um, okay. but never like uh, an- never really like analog kind of stuff. More, oh, okay, uh, I see. Di- digital kind of circuits and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Are you a guitarist? I am a guitarist. Yeah, I do guitar. Um, uh, pretty much a little bit of everything: drums, piano. So yeah. What uh, language did you write that tuner in? I'm I'm super curious. That was actually in Java. Um, I started like, the first programming class I ever took was like Intro to Java, and that's kind of what I had to work with at the time. So um, yeah, it was just a little desktop application. Did you ever get into like um, signal processing or anything like that with Python? Um, a little bit. Most of everything I've done with DSP is in MATLAB, just because uh, the the uh, libraries and frameworks in MATLAB are so easy to work with. Um, and I've usually always had like a license, uh, for whatever I'm doing. So, um, but without, if you don't have MATLAB, then there's something called free mat, which is pretty compatible. Um, if you're used to the MATLAB syntax and everything like that. So, um, and there's a lot of, um, similar packages for like, uh, FFTs and, um, statistics and all kinds of stuff. So cool. Um, what is MATLAB for anybody that doesn't or isn't familiar with that out there? Yeah, so MATLAB stands for a Matrix Laboratory, I believe. Um, I'll, I'll buy it. Yeah, I believe <laughs> it's it. been a while since <laughs> I looked up the acronym. Um, but it, yeah, it's it's basically a um, kind of a scripting language for working, doing scientific uh, work. So uh, working with matrices, um, doing complex like matrix math and stuff. It's it's meant to be really fast for that kind of operation. Whereas if you did it in like C or C++, you'd be writing these big for loops to like do all kinds of crazy multiplications and adds. Um, but in, Mat- in MATLAB, it makes it really easy to work with uh, uh, matrices. So, um, but yeah, there's a ton of uh, really good libraries and stuff for it for pretty much anything DSP, machine learning. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty powerful. So Awesome. So how did you end up getting into game development or what kind of sparked that interest? Yeah, so I've been playing games kind of on and off my whole life. Um, I started out playing uh, Atari and, um, oh, geez, what else? Like kind of the early 90s point-and-click LucasArts games. Nice. Uh, that's kind of what I got my feet with, feet wet with early on. And eventually got a, like a, a NES and a, um, a Sega Genesis. I'm, ch- I'm a child of the 90s. So um, so my love for pixel art has kind of always been there. It's Maybe it's kind of a nostalgic thing, but... Um, yeah, just kind of just eventually took an interest in it and, um, uh, just wanted to see if it was something I could do. I have a ton of hobbies and figured why not add a, add another one to the list. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can, I can identify with that for sure. Um, so you've got a lot of experience in, you know, a lot of different languages and different types of development. Um, did you find game development to be, uh, easy to pick up or was it kind of difficult? And I'm, I'm super curious to know why you landed on JavaScript considering like you have all this other language experience. Like it seems Unity and C Sharp would be kind of a natural fit for you. So how did you land on like Phaser and, and that ecosystem? Yeah, sure. So when I was getting started uh, trying to figure out which engine I wanted to use, um, I knew I wanted to do something that overlapped with my professional life. I didn't really want to have to learn something exclusively for uh, game development, how to be like an isolated skill. So, um, so, uh, you know, I started looking around for all these, for kind of options, uh, out there, unity, game maker, phaser, there's so many out there. 
Um, but basically, I kind of had in the back of my head that if I, if I was going to be writing code all day at work and then coming home and writing more code, I wanted the kind of I wanted them to sort of assist with each other and um, you know help myself just kind of gain more experience in in both domains. Um, so at the time, you know, I'd never used C# Sharp before, so I didn't really have any other practical uses for that outside of game dev. So I kind of ruled that out. Um, same goes for other languages or other frameworks that use their own uh, languages. I, that just really, really wasn't appealing to me. I just didn't want to go down that path of like learning a new language and having it be bound to that particular engine, so that if like that engine goes away, and now I kind of have this you know body of knowledge that really isn't useful anymore. Um, so I wanted to build on stuff I already knew uh, had multiple that also has uh, you know multiple uses for. And at the time, I actually was doing a lot of JavaScript work um, in my professional life, particularly with uh, Angular JS and also Node.js on the back end. So. With that, I stumbled across Phaser. Um, I just kind of started playing around with it. The API was really easy to work with. Uh, There's a lot of examples on their website, and I just found it really easy to get to get things up and running with. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where it came from. And also, I was just generally into the idea of uh, web-based games. Something about the idea of just being able to, you know, shoot somebody a link and they can just play it in the browser, and not have to download something or have to worry about what OS they're running on or what dependencies they might have to have installed on their machine. Uh, so all those things kind of contributed to just, you know, making phaser a, an easy choice. Cool. Um, I personally have not found phaser easy to use maybe oh, really? because I've, <laughs> I've never done game development before. Like I've only tried to make, um, stuff using just like raw canvas and JavaScript and cobble it together or like maybe P5 or something like that. Mm -hmm. So going to phaser, like the API is massive right off the bat. Um, and then also you're kind of digging into, well, am I rendering like sprites and how do I animate that? And then like, Oh my gosh, do I have to work with physics? Um, so there's, there's kind of a lot to it. So did you have, like some tangential experience with that from like maybe college or, or DSP stuff, or was that all brand new to you? No, that was all kind of brand new to me. Um, like I said, I had some JavaScript experience, so um, working with the language wasn't that difficult. Um, for me personally, I just kind of like the idea of kind of cobbling something together, you know, from scratch. Um, I know with Unity and other um, engines, you kind of get a lot of stuff all packaged together in one IDE and it makes it uh, pretty simple to work with. Um, that's just not my style, I guess. Um, I kind of like to, uh, you know, play with everything individually, uh, you know, set up the build system myself, um, you know, whether it's Webpack or parcel or whatever, and then, uh, you know, create my own sort of framework within framework within the engine uh, to, you know, create levels and create the characters and all that stuff. So, I just kind of found it nice to to do all that kind of stuff myself. But I mean, there are a ton of examples out there. So it's not to make it seem like anybody who's hearing this, you know, you're not going to have to start from scratch with Phaser. There's a ton of examples that to kind of kickstart you. And uh, that's actually one thing I love about Phaser is the amount of examples on their website. Um, if you go to their website and just click on the examples tab, uh, there's just about an example for every part of the API from physics to uh, sprites to the canvas to camera objects and it's nice because they're all curated by the uh, creator of phaser himself so uh, you know they're going to work and they're maintained and uh, I think that's a really nice nice feature to have when working with this engine yeah definitely mm -hmm. um, sorry I, 
It's, are you clicking a pen or something? <laughs> oh, me? Sorry. No. Uh, man, are I'm, you I'm hearing a click? Yeah, like like a pen on a desk or something. I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, who knows? Um, <laughs> I, in any case, okay. why are you doing something, Eddie? No, I'm not. I've just been oh, sitting okay. here listening. Yeah, I don't, I, uh, I don't know. I do um, have a question really quick. Um, yeah, sure. Does Phaser let you take input from a controller? Like, uh, through, are you able to use a controller for for I those believe, games? That's a good question. I believe it does. I've never gotten to that point with any of my games. I've, I've always done either mouse or keyboard. But okay. um, I'm pretty sure that it does. I mean, I, I can't imagine that at this point that that's something that, uh, you know, web stuff in general would not support. So, yeah, that I'd is have, a good I'd question. Have on that. Um, what about you kind of touched on it already, but um, Phaser itself kind of you can totally go down the path of old school JavaScript and just write one massive JavaScript file. Mm-hmm. But um, I know a lot of people don't do that. They have some kind of build system or use Webpack. Uh, maybe they even use TypeScript. Um, God only knows what they use for state management to you know track all these variables and stuff uh, between scenes and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. what's your kind of approach to organizing a phaser project? So, I guess it kind of varies depending on the game, but generally for most games, um, phaser does has the has the concept of scenes, which is really nice. So, a scene is just a a container with an associated camera that can hold sprites for you. So it's really basic and then everything from there is kind of up to you of how you want to implement your game logic. Um, so breaking up your game into scenes is really nice for kind of segmenting the logic, making it easier to manage and maintain in the long run. Uh, Cause without a doubt, you're going to come back to the game probably in two years and have no idea what you were doing. So uh, you want to keep it as clean as possible. So it's easier to kind of pick up and fix bugs later on if you want. Um, I usually have some kind of hierarchy of scenes that I use in sort of an object oriented fashion. Um, in order to reuse as much logic and functionality as possible. Uh, so it, like you said, it is easier to just throw all your code in one big class and then gets really messy and hard to debug. So following good, you know, object oriented programming design is good. And, uh, you know, keeping your interfaces really clean really pays off in the long run. Um, there is also this concept of uh, mix-ins, which I have never used, but I think that could be potentially really useful for anybody who uh, doesn't want to go down the inheritance space route for their game model. Um, so f- for those who aren't uh, familiar with mixins, it's kind of a way to like mash up uh, little bits of functionality from partial classes into uh, a new class. So you're not inheriting directly from anything. You're kind of just pulling uh, bits and pieces of, uh, like I said, these partial classes to make up a, a new class. So um, you can kind of uh, you might get into a little bit of trouble if you have, you know, some methods that have the same name potentially in some of these things. So you have to watch out for that kind of stuff. Um, but that could be really useful. For example, if let's say you have like an outdoor scene uh, base type that contains all your logic for all your scenes that are outdoor. Uh, and then you maybe have another type of scene called like a shoot 'em up scene or something. And you have a new scene you want to create that's both outdoor and shoot 'em up. So you can't really descend from both of those in, in JavaScript. So, um, you could create like a mashup with uh, partial classes to reuse some of that functionality. So um, that's uh, that's kind of generally how I start out with things. And then from there, state management, uh, like you said, is uh, it's really important, especially for most of the games that I'm making, which are like adventure games. So state is kind of everything. Um, and I did write my own state manager, and I tend to reuse that for pretty much all my projects. And 
uh, I just, I, I did spend a lot of time on that, making sure it's pretty robust and uh, have the ability to like save it to cookies and then reload it if somebody like, you know, the game freezes and they want to restart or something or pick up where they left off. So, um, yeah, I think that is a pretty essential part. Wow. I, I can't believe you didn't, especially in the JavaScript world, bring in like a state management library. <laughs> you went down the path <laughs> of writing your own. That's I mean, pretty it, impressive. Uh, honestly, it's just like a big key value store. It's, it's nothing like crazy, but, uh, yeah, I mean, just the API, uh, on top of it was something that I just found, uh, I mean, maybe there are things out there. I, I just have a really simple like event, um, based model where, uh, you can trigger, uh, updates to those states and have like kind of listeners throughout your code. So, it, uh, kind of keeps that fairly clean, but yeah. When you were talking about mixins, is that something that is like built into JavaScript or is that something that you're pulling from phaser? No, that's a, uh, a JavaScript thing. Um, like I said, I don't have too much experience with it, but I think it's, it's a pretty, uh, you know, fundamental thing to, uh, to JavaScript, you know, just the dynamic nature of it. The fact that you can kind of like assemble objects on the fly and just kind of <laughs> mash things together, uh, you know, however you want, that's just kind of an inherent thing with, uh, with JavaScript. Okay. So do you find yourself using a lot of like the, I guess the new ES6 class syntax with JavaScript and kind of going that route or are you using TypeScript or? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I have started using TypeScript for my past, uh, I think two games now. Um, and yeah, pr so previously when I was doing JavaScript, I was using, uh, classes and, uh, like the imports and everything like that to keep everything uh, pretty clean. And uh, TypeScript definitely helps. And uh, <laughs> honestly, when I look back at my earlier games I wrote in JavaScript, I'm like, how <laughs> the hell did I keep track of what was going on here? It's kind of crazy. Um, but uh, yeah, like I said, I, I had things organized into classes in JavaScript and it was fairly well structured, but there were definitely points where it was kind of a wild west and determining like did I add that property onto the object or like, did, did I not like I had to do all kinds of crazy type checking and, uh, you know, null checking and stuff like that. But, uh, I think that's a pretty common story for most people who transition from JavaScript to TypeScript and then get used to TypeScript and start looking back on stuff and thinking that I would never do JavaScript again. But it's not to say that <laughs> it's not to say that I don't like JavaScript anymore. I still think it's, it's awesome. And I do use it time to time, but, um, but yeah. As far as, um, phaser itself, did you find that, like, did you bring in the type definitions for phaser three and then, um, find yourself having an easier time kind of working through the API or was it kind of old hat at that point? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the first couple games that I wrote were in phaser two. So for those that don't know, uh, phasers, there are three, I guess, major revisions of phaser. Uh, phaser three is the uh, one that's out now. I think phaser four is being worked on and it's in beta. Um, but I actually started out in phaser two and um, that was strictly JavaScript. So I kind of like got really used to that and then <laughs> jumped over to phaser three and everything changed. So I kind of had to relearn a lot of stuff and uh, the TypeScript definitions definitely helps. Um, I use VS Code for my, um, for my ID uh, for developing my games and the TypeScript support in VS Code is outstanding. Um, not sure if you guys have ever played around with that before. Uh, uh, we're, we're all mm -hmm. about that, believe it. Nice, <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so uh, yeah, the auto completion and like, uh, you know, hovering over stuff and like the optional, you know, uh, uh, types and stuff like that is, uh, it's awesome. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's pretty nice. And I, I definitely recommend if, if you're going to start out with job with uh, phaser, um, 
there's, like I said, there's enough example projects out there uh, on GitHub. I actually have one on my page uh, that's a little starter project with Webpack and TypeScript and uh, uh, Phaser that you can install through NPM and everything. Pretty easy. So I definitely recommend just kind of starting out with one of those things and, you know, try jumping into TypeScript. If it doesn't work out with you, you can, you can always uh, fall back to the JavaScript way. But um, I think the benefits are pretty, uh, pretty heavy. So you, um, did you write like your own Webpack config or did you start with parcel or do you have a preference for one or the other? Um, yeah, I started, so I started with uh, Webpack. Well, actually I kind of started with my own, um, my own thing that was, I guess, kind of a dirty way of doing it. I, I just had like a big index.html and I was just including script files manually and, uh, it was, uh, it was just kind of a mess. And then, uh, yeah, I picked up Webpack and, um, I do use it for my projects, but it's a really minimal setup. So I, I didn't have to learn much there. Um, so, uh, I, I did look at parcel, uh, a little bit and I think, I mean, it, it definitely, you know, fits the bill. It, it would, it would work just as well here. And there's probably others uh, that I'm not thinking of. I think there's one called grunt, something like that, or gulp. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, there's so many of them. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I think just finding one that, uh, you know, fits what you're trying to do and isn't too complicated. What about um, as far as like game development itself? So there's, you know, some, I guess, rudimentary concepts like the game loop and kind of like the pre-load phase and then like while the game is running, um, doing this um, kind of like constant updating thing while, you know, the game is running. We already talked about scenes a little bit. Uh, how, how did you get into learning like all of those things? Was it just from the examples on the phaser site or are you just kind of crawling other people's projects? Yeah, it's pretty much from the examples on the phaser site. I mean, uh, the way that, that that engine breaks down the kind of order of operations is, is pretty straightforward. You have like a preload, uh, phase where you, uh, load all of your assets. So that would be sprites and sounds and, uh, JSON configurations, anything like that. And then from there, uh, there's another callback called create that gets uh, fired. And that uh, is where you put all your logic for setting up your scene and everything. Um, and then there's an update loop, which you can override and uh, put any kind of custom logic in. And that update function gets called basically on every frame. Um, so if you wanted to do some kind of custom checking, uh, you know, in every frame that wasn't conducive to like a physics engine uh, where you would get normally just have like callbacks, uh, you could put stuff in that update loop to check stuff. But generally, I think that's kind of not advised because you can slow stuff down and, uh, you know, kill the frame rate if you're doing too much inside that update, update loop. But um, that's kind of the high-level design that uh, the phaser uses. And really, from there, the sky's the limit. And you can kind of build, you know, as, as complex of a system or, or not as you want on top of that to uh, to create your game. Cool. Did you um, Did you ever try making, like, a game with just JavaScript and just HTML or did you jump straight into phaser? No. Yeah. I actually jumped straight into phaser. Um, I, I had done some stuff with, you know, canvas drawing, uh, kind of manually, but, uh, I, I just kind of figured, um, you know, there's, there's gotta be so much going on in the background in terms of, uh, you know, making things efficient and double buffering. And I'm, I'm familiar with all these concepts, but I'm not going to try and do that stuff from scratch. So I'd rather just kind of, you know, have an, an, a, an API take care of that for me. Um, so I did, so I could mainly just focus on the game um, and not so much the, uh, the internals of the engine. So that was kind of my decision. I, if that's something that people want to get into, I mean, 
by all means, it's uh, it's it's a good learning experience. Even if you know you write your own game engine and it doesn't go anywhere, it's uh, it's good to kind of learn why it's important to uh, do things the way it should be done. So, yeah, the uh, trying to write like your own physics engine and stuff, and even like collision detection and, and whatnot, is kind of <laughs> kind of difficult. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, are you kind of glad that you just jump straight into phaser and you're like, I don't, I already know what all that's about and I don't want to mess with any of that. Um, did you find uh phaser does like a really good job of handling all that stuff or? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, physics is definitely another one where I just kind of wanted to <laughs> have something else take care of it. So I didn't have to worry about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, in general, I think Phaser does a really good job with all of their APIs. Um, I think the, the examples are really helpful. Um, I, I think with any kind of library, it's it's always a little tricky because you can start out with examples, and that gets you so far. And but eventually, you kind of outgrow those examples, and you want to start creating something that's your own. Um, and I think there comes a point where you start taking what you have learned from the examples, and you start kind of mashing them up into something that kind of leaps beyond the examples and does something that you know, you're not sure if it's going to work or not. And I think that's a kind of a big step. If you can take those examples and make something uh, new with it and it works, then that's a huge like vote of confidence for yourself. And that makes it that much more exciting and makes you want to keep going and, you know, keep working on your game, keep making more games. And I think that says a lot about the API as well. If, if the API is written in such a way that it's, you know, it's straightforward and it makes sense, then making those leaps shouldn't be that hard and the game engine should just kind of do what you expect it to do. So, um, that was kind of my experience early on with phaser. And I, you know, I was able to kind of rapidly iterate and make these games. Um, not to say that those moments don't exist when, uh, <laughs> you do, you write something up and you expect one thing and something else happens and you're like, I have no idea why this doesn't work. <laughs> like this should work. Um, so that definitely happens, but it's been pretty minimal. So. How many um, games do you think, if you had to ballpark it, that you've actually made with Phaser? Because I've looked at your um, itch.io page, which if anybody out there is listening is sharpfives.itch.io. Um, and you've got, I think, like maybe four or five games on there and your your starter template mm-hmm. um, for Phaser. And they're all pretty slick. I, I've played them and I enjoyed them. I thought they were great. Uh, but I'm kind of curious, like behind the scenes, how many games that are not on there like how many <laughs> how many like yeah. projects did you make that you're like oh this is terrible not putting this on itch <laughs> yeah failed ideas for sure uh i'd say probably maybe close to 20 not a, not a huge number but you know pretty early on i think it's it's easy to know when uh when an idea just isn't gonna cut it and it's easier to just cut your losses and start on something new but uh but i mean you're always learning stuff so it's never uh it's never a bad thing to have to throw away a project like that. So, and I mean, honestly, I, I find that I reuse a lot of stuff. So if I start a game and, uh, it, you know, I have an initial idea for a concept and, um, start making a few scenes and then, you know, the story just isn't really coming to me. It's just not really coming together. Then I'll put it on the shelf and then maybe something from that will, you know, come into a later game and it's, it's never usually like completely lost. It, it'll usually find a home. So. Cool. Um, I know a lot of the, at least the ones that I've seen, the games that you're using are like all pixel art, right? And we, we talked about how, you know, you, you enjoy games from that era. And I mean, I love that stuff too. Um, I honestly think like, especially the uh, 
what was that? The latest game that you had on your um, on your page. Oh, the uh, gems. I think the, the gems. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that one had a like a really. It kind of reminded me of like a Game Boy screen, like the mm-hmm. the monochrome. Um, but I think it actually had a couple extra colors in there. Um, that aesthetic was pretty awesome. So uh, I know you do all of your own art and and music. Um, so you, you've created like all the assets for your games. What does that process look like? Um, do you jump into a some kind of pixel editing tool and start making like characters? Do you make the music first, or, and what do you use for that? Like, what? How do you develop all the stuff that's not the JavaScript that goes into your game? Yeah. So, well, thanks for uh, for the compliment on the game. I'm glad you liked it. Um, the uh, I guess I usually start just kind of by sketching stuff um, in a pixel art editor. So I use a sprite. Um, I think that's how you say it. A S E sprite. Um, never really heard it said before, but, uh, hmm. it's, uh, it's a pretty good tool for doing pixel art. Um, I actually started out with something called Piscal. Um, that's a web-based pixel art editor. And, uh, I actually wrote the, I think first three games or so, um, all the assets I did in, in that web-based app called P- uh, Piscal. And, uh, it's great for beginners like myself. I'm before my first game here, I really had no art background whatsoever. And, uh, I definitely don't think that I'm any good now, so I'm still kind of working on it. Um, but yeah, it, that web-based app, uh, was a great resource. And, uh, like I said, I made a couple games worth of, uh, uh, things in it. And, um, eventually the, the functionality I was looking for in terms of like animations and more complex stuff just wasn't there. And I just, I transitioned over to a Sprite and I've been using it ever since. And it's, it's a pretty awesome tool. Uh, I haven't really found anything I can't do with it yet. So, um, but yeah, so, uh, generally it's, you know, kind of sketching out sprites, uh, doing little animations. And then from there I'll create like a small, um, TypeScript project where I can load those in and, uh, just kind of test or test out whatever the mechanic is that I'm going to be starting with, whether it's just kind of moving a character around on the screen, swinging a sword or whatever the core mechanic is. I'll kind of just try to get that into a state where it feels really good. Um, if you think of that, it's kind of like the, the smallest game loop that can exist within your game is like whatever the, you know, the, the most minute thing you can do, just kind of trying to get that feeling really nice and, uh, really polished. Um, and then from there, I'll just kind of start building it up, uh, create other assets, um, try to think of a story generally. Um, most of my games, I like to have some kind of story along with it. Um, I know that's that's not obviously not necessary, and um, everybody kind of has their own little their own way that they like to start games. Um, the uh, one way that kind of just alluded to, which is just kind of like making something and seeing what sticks. I know a lot of people that have great success with that. They'll just kind of make a generic platformer and they'll just create start working on mechanics with like really bare bones sprites and just find some just try to find the fun. I think that's the the term. So that's another good way to start out. Um, if you're just kind of trying to, uh, you know, see what's fun and, uh, uh, see what sticks. So, so whenever you're making like pixel art, for instance, you make some kind of character design or something like that in, uh, a Sprite. Um, yeah, that's, that's how I pictured myself saying it, by the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard anybody actually say it out loud. It looks so. pretty cool. I was looking at the website where you're talking. You're talking about a sprite or, yeah, or yeah. his itch.io page? Well, that too. I, I was looking at both. Um, but yeah, the sprite editor is pretty cool. Is, um, I guess, how do you spell pis- Piscal? Piscal? 
I think it's P I S K E L. It is. Um, I just looked at that too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is um is a sprite like harder to use than Piskel, or would you be just as well served by starting off with Piskel? Um, I think well, a sprite has a lot more feet, but a lot of other features. Um, it, it's it just as easy to get started with in terms of just you know sketching stuff and uh, creating loops and stuff like that. Um, it just has a lot. Just has a lot more stuff you can do it. It's only fifteen bucks. Yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, maybe some people out there aren't that sure that they want to drop fifteen bucks on it. No, no, I, 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 I get what you're saying, but I'm just, you know, it's it's it, not. It is like affordable, other, though. I agree. Yeah, with you. it is affordable. Um, cool. Is like, can either one of those programs do not just characters, but also like game maps and and that sort of thing? So no, um, most of well, those two programs really are just for um, like sprite sheets and uh, static images. And I think you can also, well, with a sprite, you can export um, metadata along with those uh, sprite files. So you can say like, it's like basically a big JSON file that just tells you which frames are part of which um, animations in terms of tags. So you can load those into your game and uh, and query them. Um, But yeah, for everything else in terms of like level uh, design and like placing of sprites in a scene, I use an app called Tiled. Um, that's free and open source and, um, it's pretty nice. You can just drag and drop sprites into a scene and, uh, you know, create kind of arbitrary shapes and geometry, uh, polygons and stuff on the screen. If you want to have like areas, uh, where the player can go into, um, I think there is a, an importer for the tiled format that's supported in phaser, uh, I think there is now. I actually wrote my own back when it first started just because there wasn't any and I just wanted to kind of mash something together. So uh, it's a pretty simple JSON format that tiled exports if uh, you ever needed to like inspect it and see what was going on under the hood. But um, but yeah, you can just uh, use that, import that JSON file from your tiled editor and use that to kind of set up your scene. And uh, I think there are a few other options out there. I'm not too familiar with those, but I have a pretty good workflow going right now with uh, tiled, so I use that uh, pretty often. And as, so the, as you, the oh sorry, as the name implies, uh, it's it's mainly meant for like tile maps, um, you know, games where you have uh, like game like Game Boy games or NES style games where you have lots of repeated tiles like trees and bushes or pathways and houses and stuff like that. But I use it just for generally like placing sprites and not having to like hard code coordinates and stuff into my uh, into my game. Cool. Um, I was going to ask, uh, if you're making like, just like you said, you know, a tile map. So each little square, maybe have like a bush or something or like a wall or like a path or something like that. Are you making those things in Piskel or a Sprite and then importing them into tiled and kind of like creating the map that way? Or does tiled have something for that? Yeah, exactly. So I'll, I'll draw stuff in, uh, a Sprite and then import those into, uh, tiled and tile is pretty good. I mean, if you update those assets in the background, um, the tiled, your project is pointed at those assets. So it'll just kind of automatically reload them. So it's not a huge lift if you uh, have to update things later, things like that. So what about like animations of sprites? Is that something that, um, one of those tools can handle or is that something you have to jump into phaser to kind of work through? So you mean like, uh, like dynamically, uh, like doing um, a procedural animation. So like moving a, 
a player's arm or something like in code as opposed to like drawing it. Well, let's say you have a character that has like a walk animation mm -hmm. and you've got like three or four different um, frames or characters drawn and you want to cycle through those. Is that something you can like preview in, in a sprite or do you have to load up phaser in order to see how that is going to actually animate? Oh, for sure. Yeah. A sprite is well supported in that. Uh, everything you can, <laughs> everything you can imagine in terms of like previewing your animation, slowing it down. Uh, you can change the amount of time on each individual frame. If you want to kind of test out pausing like mid animation, uh, to like add emphasis to certain frames. Um, it's, it's the a sprite tool is really great for doing previewing and seeing how it's going to look prior to getting it into the engine. So does that then spit out some kind of file that you would import with phaser or yeah yeah so yeah the a sprite tool will export your uh both the sprite sheet which is just a, a collection of images uh in a in a big grid and then the uh there's a json file that uh, also gets exported with it that contains the start and stop frames of each of your animation uh tags i believe it's called so you can have uh, in a single file, a sprite file, you can have you know your walk animation, your jump, your all your things, and they could be just separated by um, by individual frames. And then you can create tags inside the a sprite tool to delineate sort of like where the start and stop of those animations are. So you can preview those animations uh, individually in a sprite, and then when you're ready to export it, um, you get that metadata file and your uh, your spreadsheet file, and those both get uh, loaded into phaser pretty nicely that's cool what about uh what about music so i'm pretty psyched to hear this answer as you're a musician and a guitarist <laughs> so uh, i'm also a guitarist I, I love music eddie loves music so um i've played through a couple of the games the music is excellent as well um you've kind of got this whole um like mood like the there's not a a ton of um story they're pretty short games uh, the story is kind of um, concise, but at the same time, it's like the whole experience is kind of drawing the player through. So um, what are you doing? Like, are you in a DAW working this out or do you have like a mighty keyboard or something to do this? Yeah. So I use a program called LMMS. Uh, it stands for Linux Multimedia Studio. Um, it's free open source software um, for doing anything with MIDI and synthesizers. And uh, generally, you know, the pixel art style that I like, I think it's pretty, goes pretty hand in hand with electronic music. At least that's kind of the way that I like to do things. So uh, LMMS is, is great for doing that kind of stuff. Um, that's actually how I've done the music for all of my games so far has been in that, uh, in that tool. Um, I've played around a little bit, oh, I've played around a little bit with GarageBand um, and some other free stuff, but uh, just found that LMMS was like, super useful and was able to do pretty much everything I wanted to do in terms of like, uh, any kind of like digital effects or, um, uh, looping or, uh, all of the, like the stock synthesizers and presets that come with it are super dynamic and I'm able to do pretty much everything I want to do in there. So I think eventually I'll, maybe I'll upgrade to, you know, I'll, maybe I'll get back into GarageBand and, uh, do a little stuff there and see if, you know, uh, logic is something it, I'll look into eventually, but, but for now, uh, it's, uh, that's pretty much how I do everything. I actually have not recorded any instruments on any, uh, any of my games yet, which is a little depressing now that I say it out loud, <laughs> but, uh, 
yeah, maybe that's something I'll do in my next game is uh, actually play some guitar. Um, I guess being, you know, that it's everything I've done so far is pretty electronic. Um, having natural uh, instrument sounds probably wouldn't jive too well with it unless it was, you know, heavily distorted or something. But, um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of everything for the, the music itself. And then for sound effects, uh, I use this site called freesound.org. And uh, this is an amazing resource for sound effects. If people are looking, if people are struggling looking for sound effects for games or for anything really, um, it's a really awesome website, and it's got a really good search functionality, um, especially with tags. So, you know, you you can search for anything like bird sounds, or I don't know if you're trying to make some like ambient sounds. Uh, you know, you could pretty much find anything you want on there. It's, it's all really well tagged and uh, really well maintained. And um, the number of samples in there is gigantic, so you, you will never have a problem finding anything. Um, and, then, and then usually I'll touch things up. I'll touch things up in like Audacity or um, something else to do a little pitch shifting or reverb or um, simple effects to get it how I need it for the game. So cool. Awesome. I think um, I think I got the explosion for the Tech Junior intro from freesound.org. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. that's awesome. If, little trivia for anybody that's curious. Um, as far as like actually inputting the sounds into LNMS. Are you using like a keyboard for that? Are you drawing in the notes with the mouse or is there like any plugins that you're using for it or just everything that comes with it uh, stock? Uh, so a little bit of both. I have used a, I have a MIDI keyboard and I do use that sometimes um, just for kind of playing around with ideas. Um, but most of the time I'm honestly just kind of keying in stuff manually, um, just drawing it in on the, on the MIDI grid as it were. Um, and uh, yeah, it, as far as plugins, uh, I have pulled in some external um, uh, samples before, uh, like LMS presets that I found uh, that I liked. But honestly, pretty much everything that comes with LMS stock is uh, is really really dynamic, and there's so much you can do with it. Um, there's actually like a synthesizer on there that it's actually I think they have a couple that are designed to specifically emulate like sound cards and the audio processing systems of like, uh, old consoles like Atari and Commodore and, um, NES and stuff like that. So if you're trying to make a game that is, you know, really authentic to that period or, you know, maybe even like, who knows, like write your own game for those consoles, uh, using assembly or whatever, then, uh, you could use this tool to, you know, prototype some sounds and (laughs) get them sounding really, really accurate. So, that's cool. Cool. Yeah. I've uh, I played around with LNMS a little bit. Uh, I thought it was pretty cool, but I haven't really written a whole lot with it. So that's, that's good and reassuring, reassuring to hear that um, it's kind of got everything that you need to do game development built into it. Mm-hmm. Well, what, uh, what do you typically use for your uh, audio production? Uh, we use uh, Audacity. Um, okay. Because we're old and <laughs> we don't... <laughs> We, we can't be hip and use like Reaper or something. So uh, I everything that we do is, is Audacity. Do you edit with uh, Audition? or? Yes, I do. Okay. Eddie is hip. So yeah. <laughs> I'm an old man using old program from, God, I don't even know when Audacity was written, like the 90s or something. Yeah. <laughs> it works old. though. It's, 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 uh, it's pretty good. Yeah. It, it, it hangs in there with the best of them. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've just always kind of gravitated towards that because it was free and. I'm on Windows, so no garage sure. or anything. Yeah. <clears throat> um, as far as like advice for people that want to get into game development, 
what do you think would be the, the best workflow? Like, should they just jump into Phaser and, you know, go download Asprite and LNMS and, and kind of get cracking? Or is there any type of games that you think they should make or any good tutorials out there? Yeah, I think generally the first thing I would say is to start small. Um, it's really easy to overdo it early on and plan to make something that's like gigantic, <laughs> like make an open world procedurally generated <laughs> multiplayer game with physics and blah, blah, blah. Like it can really be, it can be easy to like over scope yourself early and just have things get way out of hand. And honestly, some of the best games out there are really simple. Um, are you guys familiar with Pico eight by any chance? That sounds familiar, but no. Pico eight is it's what's called a fantasy console. Um, it runs in a browser and it's meant to mimic uh, essentially like an old processor, uh, an older processor like the NES or something. So okay. it restrict it restricts you in a lot of ways in terms of like the amount of uh, bytes that your code can be and like the size of your sprites and everything. And it, I mean, it, it really, really restricts you. And it, that kind of forces your hand in a lot of ways. And while I've never made games with it bef- uh, previously, there are a lot of like really, really cool games that are simple, but they... Um, they just take those minimal concepts uh, and really, really do a lot with them. So I uh, highly recommend Pico 8 for anybody who's into that kind of thing. Um, I think that uses Lua as the programming language, um, but it comes with its own uh, editor and little sprite. It's kind of like an all-in-one IDE, a uh, little sprite editor and um, text editor where you can edit your stuff and actually make your music all in one little thing. So uh, it's, it's a nice little package. But um but yeah, getting back to like starting small. Um, so when I first started out, I like I said, I had no experience drawing anything, uh, creating any assets, and that was super overwhelming because I'm not an artist, and I found there were just like too many degrees of freedom in like choosing color palettes and resolutions and styles, and I, I started you know drawing stuff at higher resolutions, and I just wasn't happy with anything that I was making. Um, so I one thing I found was this thing called uh, well. I found what are called game jams and I think you guys are probably familiar with those. Um, but for those who aren't, so game jams are these, uh, online competitions that, uh, you can join and you can submit a game and they usually last for about two weeks or so. And, uh, you create a game, you submit it and, uh, you get feedback on your game and you know, you can get, um, a lot of people to look at it and, uh, uh, get some feedback so you can improve on it. But one of the first game jams I did was called low res jam. And that's actually uh, a few of my games were made for low res jam and the restrictions on low res jam. Um, part of the theme is that all of your assets have to be 64 by 64 pixels, uh, which seems really, really small and it definitely limits you. But that was actually how I started in terms of drawing stuff. It was just kind of sketching stuff in 64 by 64 pixels uh, in a canvas and found that I could make stuff that was honestly a little bit passable. So, <laughs> you know, once you create something that you kind of like and you build upon it, then uh, you just kind of go from there. So that was how I started was just kind of keeping it small. And like I said, not trying to overdo it and uh, make something that's easy and fun. So, um, yeah, I think that's the first thing. Um, let's see what else. Um, second thing I would say is do a little research um, in terms of picking what engine you want to go with. Um, obviously I'm here talking about phaser and it's been really good for me, but, um, honestly don't overthink it. I think that's a big thing. Um, you can go crazy just, you know, having uh, decision panic, you know, in terms of like, 
uh, going crazy over like weighing the pros and cons of everything. But I think the important thing is really to just like pick something and just stick with it. And, um, you know, worst case is, you know, that, that framework doesn't last for that long and, you know, your, your game maybe doesn't last, but, um, generally I think it's pretty easy to port these games between different frameworks. Uh, it's not, it's not super hard, but, um, but yeah, I think if you just choose something and just stick with it, uh, I think that's a good, good thing to do. Um, I already recommended, uh, I just talked about game jams. I think that's a great way to motivate yourself to actually finish a game. <laughs> um, cause that's harder than it sounds, uh, you know, starting an idea and actually taking it to completion to the point where you can put it out there and, uh, let other people pick it apart. So, um, yeah, I think those are some things I would say. Uh, what about, um, like making your own assets. Is that something that you would recommend somebody dive into right away? Or do you think they should like kind of steal some assets from somewhere or get some freebies or make some like basic blocks or something and just kind of roll with it? Or what yeah. do you, what do you think is best? I think it's good to try. Um, you know, worst, worst case it just doesn't work out. And yeah, there's a ton of free resources out there for, uh, uh, for using openly available assets. I, I think I actually did, kind of start with that route I, I started looking at there were some like uh, online sprite generators that you could use where you know it would just have like a, a blank uh you know body and then you could add like different clothing onto it and excuse me um and then ex export that and they had like walk cycles that you could use and I, I did use that early on to just kind of get something into my engine that i could play around with and see um but eventually i you know, you just outgrow that and you need, you need stuff that just isn't available. Like, you know, um, uh, like an animation for picking up an item or like lighting a torch or something that's like super specific to your game that you're just not going to be able to find. So I think it's, it's definitely helpful to be able to create your own stuff and, um, you know, make whatever you need in the moment. So what's, uh, what was like the first type of game you started making or was there anything that you thought was easier or kind of better to start with? Um, well, I, I mean, I really love point and click games. Uh, you know, I mentioned the LucasArts games that I like, like, you know, Day of the Tentacle and, uh, Sam and Max and all that kind of stuff. So, um, I think point and click games are like a great way to start because, you know, it's a, it's a really simple mechanic and you can kind of program in any kind of puzzle logic that you want. You're really the sky's the limit. Um, so I would say that's a good one to start with. And then other than that, platformers are, also a really good way to start. I mean, the number of examples that are out there for, you know, starter projects for platformers are probably endless. Uh, cause it's just, it's just such a common, um, uh, common style of game. And, um, I mean, there's so many good ones. So, uh, that's, I think that's also another, uh, really good one that I'd start with. Cool. Um, what about, uh, phaser four? Have you gotten to play with that at all or, do you recommend that people wait for Phaser 4 to come out or use the beta or something? I know it's being written in TypeScript and currently you have to do some some kind of uh, loopholes to actually pull TypeScript in if you're going to use it with Phaser 3. But uh, I really want to know if you're kind of hyped for Phaser 4 or not. <laughs> yeah, um, I hate to say this, but I have not played around with it yet. Um, I've, I'm in the process of, I'm making a game currently and I'm kind of heads down in, in Phaser 3 trying to get that, trying to get this game uh uh, just, just out there so I can, uh, maybe work on something else. But, um, yeah, um, I have not checked it out yet, but I, I've heard good things about it. And, uh, yeah, I, I would say phaser three is a good place to start. There's a ton of support. 
Um, the number of examples is great. I think examples are huge for just getting started. So um, I would say phase of three is probably the good place to start. Cool. Can you talk about the game that you're working on now at all? Or <laughs> Yeah, sure. Um, it's a point and click game. Surprise. Uh, <laughs> it's a kind of a weird space based game um, where you're, you find the story is kind of uh, in the process, but you kind of wake up on a planet and you're like in a spacesuit and you have no idea how you got there. And uh, the goal is to kind of get off the, the planet before your oxygen runs out. That's kind of the working concept. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's coming along pretty well. Um, I'm pretty happy with where it's going. Uh, generally with most of my games, the story is like the hardest part. I don't know why, like just like writing the code is no problem. Creating the assets when I need them is, is not a problem, but like creating, <laughs> creating a compelling story uh, is just not something that's, uh, natural to me. So I, I tend to struggle with that, but, um, yeah, so I kind of have bits and pieces of that. Um, I've been posting updates on my Twitter, um, with, little things here and there. So you can get a sneak peek of it there. Yeah. So cool. that, that's actually a good segue for, um, your, you know, online stuff. So I, I originally saw, uh, the gems on Twitter. Uh, I think GitHub posted that you won one of their game jams. Um, so where, where can people find you online? Yeah. So, uh, sharp fives, uh, twitter.com slash sharp fives, uh, is where I post all my development updates for my games um, all my games are free. I host them on itch.io. So sharp fives.itch.io. And, um, yeah, check, check everything out there. And, uh, um, yeah, love to love to get feedback on stuff and always trying to improve, uh, improve on things. So, Oh, Should also, I... uh, Oh, sorry. One last thing. I, um, all the music for my games is up on Bandcamp as well. I believe that's uh, sharp fives.bandcamp.com. So, Oh, that's cool. cool. Um, should people leave you feedback on Twitter or on itch itself or? Uh, yeah, generally itch is pretty good. Um, with every game that you create, it creates like a little forum, uh, message board sort of thing under each of the games. So you can just post directly on there. Um, if you, you know, if you find something that you like or you, uh, have a suggestion for updating something, um, I'm all ears. So. Cool. Cool. Eddie, what else do you got for, for game dev questions? Does uh does Phaser do anything other than just like 2D? Can it do 3D stuff? Uh no, so it doesn't no. do 3D. It's it's pretty yeah, it's pretty limited to 2D. Um uh -huh. you can do a lot with shaders in it as well. Um I don't have a ton of experience with that. I've done some really basic shaders for like uh waves and stuff for like ocean type of uh effects um and like out outlines for sprites, but um yeah. If you're good at shade, if you're good at shaders, then you can absolutely use those. And uh, uh, Phaser uses WebGL for that kind of stuff. So, um, so I would I would definitely recommend checking out the examples on Phaser's site. Uh, there are some insane shaders on there that just make you question like what is even possible in a browser. It's like unreal the uh, kind of effects that they can get away with. What is a shader for anybody out there? It's kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, so I don't have a ton of experience with this, so I don't want to sound like uh, I don't know what I'm talking about because I pretty much don't. But uh, <laughs> uh, it's, it's basically like a small, like compiled program that you can run um, on your GPU. Um, so you write it in what looks like C, and uh, what you're doing is kind of manipulating the the um, color of pixels and also the position of like where 
uh, color should be uh, rendered in this in the um, in the frame. So that's probably a really bad description. I would definitely recommend going looking up uh, what a shader is. But uh, yeah, it's it's good for stuff that's um, you know uh, higher compute intensive that you couldn't do in like a for loop over your game scene. Uh, kind of like general graphics effects that you want to apply to uh, either a sprite or to a scene. Cool. Cool. Uh, so that's all I've got for game dev questions. Um, what about you, Eddie? Uh, I have one more. <laughs> Shoot. Um, Let's hear it. Where do you start when you're making a new game? Like, do you have an idea and you start coding for it? Or do you like have a, a like a, a scene or like a concept you want to try to work around or, or like where, where would it, where do you start? Yeah. Um, it kind of varies. It kind of depends on, I guess, where the inspiration comes from. Okay. Uh, like, like with the gems, for example, um, with that, I, I kind of have this idea to just create a really, really minimal game. Uh, sorry, a game with minimal graphics. Um, you know, three or four colors, um, really basic scenes with maybe just like a, a one or two objects in the middle of each scene and um so i kind of just like started sketching that out in a sprite and um doing a few animations for like the the main character and stuff like that and, and that's kind of how that one got started um for other games that are maybe a little bit more like story driven i might actually start by writing out like a little script almost like i almost as if i was writing like a screenplay i guess mm-hmm. um which kind of like outlines maybe the characters and uh, like their motives and their personalities and maybe sort of a plot that these characters fit into. Um, and, uh, and then maybe from there start sketching things out and maybe like drawing some flow diagrams that kind of illustrate the order of events that I might want to happen in the game. So, uh, yeah, it really kind of depends on, you know, the game or honestly, like I said, like where the inspiration comes from. So cool. Okay. Awesome. I think I'm done. <laughs> so <laughs> at the end of every show, we do a little segment called uh, Nerd Minute where we talk about video games or books or movies or whatever. So, uh, Alex, you're the, you're the guest. Is there anything that you've been into lately? doesn't have to be a game, but if it is, I'll probably play it. So <laughs> what, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, so I mentioned I have like a ton of hobbies. Uh, so I brew beer um, oh, wow. in my free time. So <laughs> Favorite beer, real quick. Favorite beer. Oh, man, that's tough. Um <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I would say generally, well, I mean, right now the hot thing are hazy IPAs. I don't know if you guys are into those or not, but uh, yeah, there's a lot. I mean, pretty much every brewery makes a hazy IPA right now, and there are a lot of great ones out there. But um, I'm a sucker for a good, just like German Pilsner as well, or a, a German, uh, uh, you know, Hellas or something like that. So yeah, um, those are kind of my styles, I guess, that I gravitate towards. But I like to brew pretty much everything. I like to make sours too. I have a few barrels um, that I age things in, so wow. uh, it's a uh, it's another one of those hobbies where you know you can get as deep as you want into it and get, kind of drive yourself crazy. But, <laughs> but <laughs> how long fun. does so, that process take? Uh, it depends on the beer that you're making, but generally for for a standard ale, you know, I'd say probably from the day that you brew it to the day that's drinkable and in your glass, like two weeks. Oh, that's uh, not that bad. Okay. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. But for like lagers uh, or sours, those are going to take you know upwards of a couple months, or for some of the more complex sours, even a couple years. So. Oh wow. Yeah. How much of it are you making at one time? 
So I make uh, five gallon batches. Okay. Um, I've actually I built my own kegerator, so I've got a bunch of beer on tap all the time. Wow. And um, wait, wait, wait. How many taps do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we should start with how many kegerators I have. <laughs> so I actually, uh, there's four taps on my main kegerator, and then I have a my old decommissioned kegerator in the basement that has two. So I kind of use that as like a staging area for things that aren't quite ready. So. Yeah. This is this is a pretty rad life that you're living <laughs> doing game dev. Making video beer. games you got like and your, beer. And... You got your own bar, basically, <laughs> downstairs. <laughs> it's the life of the party. Like, wh- what are we doing this weekend? Well, going back to Alex's, you know, drinking beer, playing games. That's, that's what we're doing. Yeah. Um, so what are, you, what are you brewing right now, or what do you have on tap? Oh, man, let me look at my taps. Uh, so I have a Belgian pale ale. A, a light lager that's uh, probably the lightest thing I've ever made. It's like 3.3%. Um, wow. Like 12, 12 IBUs. It's like not bitter at all. Um, and then a uh, barrel-aged stout, which is quite the opposite. It's like 9.5%. And, um, and an amber lager. So kind of try to keep a good variety on tap just cool. uh, you know, keep things interesting. So You name them at all? You're way into it. No, I don't name them. Um, I guess like I guess I probably should. I just have a big chalkboard up that I, uh, you know, write what's on tap on. But uh, okay. I just kind of write write them out by the style. So, what uh, what are you brewing next? What's coming up? Oh man, uh, I did just I bought a bunch of hops recently, so I have uh, a bunch of these like super juicy fruity hops um, that go into these hazy IPAs. So I'm probably going to make one of those. Um, the homebrew shop that I go to right now is, uh, they're still open given all of this, uh, COVID-19 craziness that's going on. Um, but the, and they're doing uh, like curbside pickups. So fortunately I have enough stuff to make like one batch, but, uh, after that I might have to order some, some more stuff, but, um, yeah. And then I have some stuff going in the barrels. I have a sour, uh, going right now. That's, um, it's kind of a, just a plain, uh, lambic sour and then a, uh, a Belgian double in the other sour, uh, sorry, in the other barrel. So those will, uh, I, I taste those like once a month just to kind of see how they're coming along. But uh, those are kind of long-term projects that are sort of meant to be forgotten about. <laughs> and then you just kind of come back and, and then they're they're ready to go. So so it sounds like uh, you, you keg everything, you don't bottle? Yeah, yeah. I started out bottling stuff and uh, man, it's a pain in the ass. So <laughs> kegging, <laughs> kegging is uh, so much easier and a lot less a lot less work and uh yeah so I, I try to try to keg most things and if i do share stuff with people i'll usually just uh give stuff out give stuff out in growlers or just bottle it straight from the tap and uh and just uh hand it off to people so cool, cool. Eddie, you may not know this but i once upon a time brewed a barrel of beer really so, or actually a keg not a barrel yeah yeah yeah. i uh i had some friends in the fire department that were big into brewing beer and so they kind of suckered me into buying all this stuff and I had a kettigrater and I had taps and kegs and whatnot. Um, and I went through and I brewed a blonde ale and nice. I thought it was, it was great. It tasted good. And I never brewed again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, come it's on. like, this is too much work. I, I'd, I'd, I'd rather just drink the beer. Really, <laughs> for being honest. So, um, it was like hours of like boiling this huge and we're down in Florida. So, like standing outside in the heat and just kind of sweating like crazy, boiling this big vat of wow. uh, of mash and uh, throwing hops in at the right time. 
Um, and then you have to like cool it. And I had like a giant copper coil and all this crazy stuff. But uh, I, I don't know. I just I didn't get as into it as I as I thought I did. So I kind of sold all <laughs> the stuff after that. But sure. Does it take like yeah, a is. whole day to do this, or is it just something you do in a couple of hours? It, it took me a good four hours probably to to do everything and get it kegged so it could sit. Uh, and actually, well, actually, I think I I had it in a carboy, which is like a big glass um, container where it like ferments. And then I transferred okay. it to a keg later, but to get it like boiled and cooked and everything, I'm sure Alex knows, knows better, but, uh, f- for me, it took a couple of hours. I'm sure he can do it a little bit faster. No, it sounds about right. Yeah. It, I think it kind of depends on, uh, your brewing process. I know some people can get it down to like two and a half to three hours, but some of the, you know, more crazy stuff like German, German styles that have these longer, uh, mash rests, those will take like you know, probably up to five hours because you're, you're just mashing for a long time. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I gotta say, you gotta get back into it. It's a, <laughs> it's a great hobby to have. Um, but you're right. It is a ton of work. So unless you're, uh, you're, uh, kind of, uh, invested, then, uh, it's definitely easier to just go buy it for sure. <laughs> there's, um, there's also something to be said about having beer on tap in your house. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a little bit dangerous, especially yeah. if you're working from home. <laughs> you're just like, well, yeah. going to have a beer. Here we go. <laughs> Yeah, you got to you got to resist for sure. Yeah, so there there's something about like a twist off or something in the house where you're like, "Ah, I've I've unleashed the beast, you know? Like it's it's out of the <laughs> bottle now, but when when it's on tap and you just kind of put a cup under there and get you like a half glass whenever you want, you know, it's uh you kind of hear that that sweet tap whispering in your ear at all hours, you know what I mean? So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a little dangerous in my opinion. I I, I didn't like that. So <laughs> I don't think I'd be productive because I really like beer. So, Do you guys have any uh, good breweries around you? So uh, in Ocala, I've got Infinite Ale Works. Um, That's in a little bit north of Orlando in Central Florida. And it's basically the Ocala Home Brewer Club got together and and started a business. Um, Hmm. And it's been really successful. They've got like, you know, 20 taps in the the drink room. they constantly are brewing new beers. They've gone through like 8 million ghosts because uh, it's you know always summer in Florida and um, it's real hot out. So the, the sours have been kind of popular. Um, they nice. you know bottled stuff and they're selling it in like the grocery stores locally. Uh, and then in Gainesville, we've got Swamphead Brewery um, that has been pretty awesome too. I'm sure Eddie could tell me 800 breweries in Orlando. I mean, there are couple in because i'm in sanford um there yeah there's a bunch but i i can't name any right now i don't go to a bunch all that much been drinking more wine lately <laughs> eddie what's your uh, favorite beer don't say bud light my favorite type of beer yeah yeah. i, I like amberbach there you go okay alex is shaking his head i can i can yeah, sense it yeah, like, yeah. it's like <laughs> <laughs> Who drinks that? <laughs> hey, I don't judge. No, it's all good. <laughs> cool. So, uh, Eddie, what do you got for Nerd Minute? You got anything? Um, since we were talking about video games, I was just going to uh, bring up uh, Downwell. You played that? Oh, I love that game. Yeah, it's really have good. Have you played that, Alex? I have I've seen uh, like clips of it online. It, it looks amazing. I have not played it. Um, 
it, it's kind of a also like a minimal color palette, right? It's like yeah, black and white and, and yeah, red. It, white it would be and, right up your alley. A little bit of red. <laughs> yeah, it looks addicting. Uh, I've never played it, but uh, it looks super fun. So is it good? Yeah, it's really good. You're just like this blobby looking white character because um, everything's black and white. And then um, you're just falling down a well. Every level is just you're going further and further down the well. Um, you can pick up like different upgrades to your like what you're shooting down. You get like a laser or you can you get like more pips on your your gun or whatever. Um, and then there are little shops hidden. Not, uh, they're kind of hidden on the sides of the walls. And um, you can upgrade your weapon or, you know, get uh, more money for the next run uh, to get more upgrades and stuff like that. And it's just a continuous cycle. The enemies get harder, different levels. I I don't I never get all that far in the game. <laughs> I'm not good at it, but it it's really addicting. Uh, at least in the beginning. Um, and whenever I'm waiting for a download for on my PlayStation or something, I'll uh, hop into that and just play it for a little bit while I'm waiting. Awesome. Nice. That's good. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I've, I've played that one before. I also enjoyed it. I'm terrible at it. I've only gotten to like the second level. Um, I think the furthest the I've gotten is fourth, so fourth level. Yeah. Eddie's a better gamer than me. <laughs> um, <laughs> now the, the character has like gun boots or something. It's ludicrous. something like that. It's like you're falling down and you're shooting downward. And uh, yeah, like avoiding, from his feet. Yeah, avoiding like bats and turtles and these little blobby characters and whatnot. But um yeah it's it's super fun but uh it's also pretty dang difficult if i had yeah. to at least for me eddie's eddie's a pro he's gone no i'm not a pro <laughs> <laughs> have you guys played a game called uh baba is you or heard of it uh, yes we've talked about this a bunch of we times have recommended oh, yeah. that so many times oh, it, yeah. it's, it's cool yeah that's what awesome you, yeah what do you think about that one did you, buy I think it? did you play it i bought it yeah i've been playing it for a little while it's uh it's super addicting and um yeah, I think it's just an amazing concept for a game, really unique, yeah. um, where you can kind of change the rules and uh, it just makes you just bend your brain in ways that you never knew you could, I guess. it's uh, Yeah, it's definitely a game that I can't play before I go to sleep because I'll have like baba dreams or something like that. It's really, really bizarre. So That yeah. is awesome. <laughs> or you have to jump out of bed at three o'clock in the morning. You're like, I know, I know yeah. the answer. <laughs> bed is push. Bed is push. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. Um, yeah. As far as me, um, I'll throw out animal crossing. So Are you uh, playing during, that? yeah, well, Casey has a switch, which is uh, my daughter. And we thought, you know, she's stuck at home. We're all stuck at home. Uh, at least she can play animal crossing. So we went out and bought that. And uh, she made me sit down and make a character. So I started picking up weeds and shaking trees for apples and all that good stuff. So <laughs> just uh, doing doing the thing. Um, I don't know, Alex, are you familiar with Animal Crossing? I know of it. I've never played it. Um, yeah, I, I saw on Twitter that everybody was going nuts over it like the past couple of weeks. So it must be a, must be a hit. It is uh, not a new game at all. It's basically the same Animal Crossing game from like GameCube yeah. where you're just, <laughs> you move into a town and you owe a raccoon a bunch of money uh, because you built your house or whatever and he gave it to you on loan. So you have to go pay him off by doing a bunch of like mundane stuff, like pick up the yard and fish Catch and bugs. Mm -hmm. like bugs and stuff like yeah. stuff like that. So same, same thing on switch. Um, 
but yeah, it's, it's kind of like Harvest Moon or, um, Stardew Valley or something, but like light there, there's not as much crafting and, um, you're not like marrying off characters and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's kind of pared down. So you're, mm-hmm. you're doing basic stuff, collecting things, chopping down trees, growing flowers or whatever. Um, but there's not as much farming or like romance or, uh, any kind of complicated storylines or anything like that. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. I'll have to check that out. Uh, there's one other game I want to pitch out to you guys. I don't know if you've heard of this one before. It's called stone story RPG. That's been on my, uh, my steam wish list for a long time. So tell me about uh, it. Yeah. 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 For, it's uh, yeah, definitely been, it's been around for a little bit now. Uh, it's, so it's an ASCII based RPG. Oh, okay. Uh, the entire game is, is ASCII art and, um, it's, it's incredible. Um, r- super fun. Um, it's, uh, got a pretty cool story to it. Uh, I don't want to give too much away, but yeah, you kind of go through these different levels and you can upgrade weapons and there's a little bit of crafting to it where you can kind of use items together to upgrade your weapons and stuff like that. And, um, it's, it's just super well done. I, I was, uh, I was really impressed by it. So definitely recommend it for, uh, an interesting change in art style for sure. Awesome. Cool. Well, um, I think we can wrap it up there. Uh, Alex, thank you so, so much for coming on the show. We had a blast talking to you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. And uh, please, please let us know whenever uh, your new game comes out so we can share it to all of our listeners and on Twitter and all that fun stuff. Will do, definitely. Thanks, guys. Awesome. (laughs) Thanks again for coming on. Bye. All right. See you. Hey, thanks for listening to Tech Junior. Please head over to our website at techjunior.dev for show notes and past episodes. While you're there, please sign up for our newsletter. Um, It goes out once a week with the latest episode and other goodies that we think you guys would like. Um, If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by becoming a Patreon subscriber. Special thanks to all our current patrons. And uh, we also have a Teespring store with t-shirts and stickers designed by Lee and I. Um, you can find links to both these things at our on our website at techjunior.dev under support. Um, please follow us on Twitter at techjuniorpodcast. Um, you can also follow our personal accounts. Uh, Lee is at Lee Warwick Jr. I am at Ed Otero. The O's are zeros. Thanks so much. See you next time.